I am Lemuel Gonzalez, repentant sinner, and along with Amity Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's painless Sunday school lesson, Without Works. This week we continue an exploration to investigate influential and problematic St. Paul of Tarsus, and the more you know. But first, we're going to visit with the Supreme Court in a brief detour of not necessarily the good news. In its final week of session, SCOTUS ruled in favor of a Philadelphia Catholic charity that wouldn't allow same-sex foster parents. In the grand tradition of solving a problem that doesn't exist, in 2018, CSS declared that it would not consider same-sex couples as potential parents for foster children. When it found out, the city of Philadelphia insisted that all its contractors agree not to discriminate, so the charity sued. It said endorsing same-sex couples as foster parents would violate its religious teachings about marriage. In response, Philadelphia said the charity was free to express and practice its religious views, but not to dictate the terms of municipal contracts. The city has also said the charity was not being punished for its religious views, noting that it still had city contracts worth millions of dollars a year to perform other services for children in foster care. SCOTUS did rule in favor of the charity, but kept its ruling narrow. The court rejected the urging of Catholic Social Services, one of the 30 agencies that contract with Philadelphia to find homes for abused and neglected children, for a broad ruling that would allow religious objections to overcome anti-discrimination laws. Quote, We are relieved that the court did not recognize a license to discriminate based on religious beliefs, according to Leslie Cooper of the ACLU. This is good news for the LGBTQ population and for everyone who depends on the production er, on the protections of non-discrimination laws. In the background is the court's 1990 decision that stated that religious groups are not exempt from general, local, state, and federal laws, including those banning discrimination. A decision to overturn that ruling would make it easier for businesses to claim a religious exemption from laws that ban discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. But civil liberties groups say it would blunt efforts to fight discrimination. Two years ago, the court confronted but failed to decide a similar issue in the case of the Colorado man who said that baking cakes for same-sex weddings would violate his religious freedom and right of free, of free expression, even though a state law banned discrimination based on sexual orientation. So fundamentally, mm-hmm. the court came down on the wrong side of this case in general, but neglected to widen that stance uh, to allow religious organizations to completely skirt anti-discrimination laws where they are incorporated where they are working exactly what the complaint was since they were allowed they lost nothing they lost the contract to place these kids in foster care okay but they didn't lose other contracts that they had because they were discriminating against the foster parents uh it seems to me that philadelphia was well within its rights and it's right you can Mm -hmm. choose not to do that and then we can choose not to do business with you so I feel like both sides come out okay. Philadelphia still doesn't have to. Like the, this religious organization is still within its rights to discriminate, right? And Philadelphia is still within it its rights to not 
do business with them, which is what the free market is pretty much all about. Uh, but it's interesting to me that once again, even though in this narrow ruling, the Supreme Court is on the wrong side, as it will likely be on the wrong side until we can even up the court balance, uh, they didn't overturn that 1990 SCOTUS ruling, which w- which would, in effect, allow religious organizations to discriminate so, uh, willy-nilly, so which far. seems like a thing that religious organizations wouldn't want to do, but maybe I just don't get it. Mm, <laughs> neither do I. Um, so far, in the number of rulings that have been passed on by the Supreme Court, do you see any kind of... Um, theme or character to them. Right now... The way that it decides, not necessarily the makeup of the people on there. Who right. Because right them. now it's six to three right. conservative. Though Roberts goes more in the ro- in the middle of the road than you would think he would. Um, it seems to me that this particular court, at this particular time, does not want to make big decisions. They don't want to be writing law, which is, the court never wants to do that. Right. The, the Supreme Court never wants to be the one writing laws. Uh, and and I feel like every time they write a decision, what they're really doing is writing, Dear Congress, write a law that solves this so we can stop having this debate. Uh, because they are not elected officials, and they know that. Uh, I don't. I think that there are some... I think there's at least one monster on the court, maybe two, yeah, maybe three, uh, but I don't think that they seek power in the way that politicians seek power. Uh, typically, that is not the the mindset of a person who's going to be a judge. Now, granted, most judges at some point in their lives have to run for office, mm-hmm. which is also dumb. I don't understand voting for judges either. It's better to have an elected official, I guess, but then the type of person who is comfortable in a political race is not the kind of person well, that I want really making like, You know how I feel decisions. about judges and the judicial system mm-hmm. in general, that yeah. there are people who have far too much power to make decisions and base them on their own prejudices. To be fair, they, they don't have as much power as like district attorneys do. Um, but yes, yeah. their word goes. I mean, until it it doesn't because of appeals courts or higher courts. Yeah. But uh, it just doesn't seem to me like ba- I can draw a character from the court based on the decisions that they've been making. Yeah, lately. no, it's they're a little bit all over the place. They seem to be, and I, I prefer them to be timid rather than to be sort of uh, conservative firebrands. It feels like they know that they aren't legitimate, mm-hmm. and so they yeah. don't want to do anything sort of that's too. Radical. Radical. In any direction. And conservative is to conserve the status quo. So the less they can do, the better. A a, a conservative court doesn't want to make any rulings at all. (laughs) I think it's too late to be conservative in any way, shape, or form. I think it's time for big, bold decisions. But I don't think these are the people to make them. No. No. Kavanaugh is a literal monster. Um... Thomas is a literal monster. Coney Barrett is like a baby monster. 
but she might be a literal monster too. Like it, it's it's a bunch of people I don't particularly mm-hmm. trust. And then Elena Kagan and Sonia yeah. Sotomayor just like throwing elbows. <laughs> but they, this was a unanimous choice decision mm-hmm. actually because nobody was really hurt by it. Right. And because they weren't striking down that 1998 so it was decision, safe to make this decision mm-hmm. altogether. That's absolutely, funny. and they were able to both sides it. Yeah, religious freedom check, municipal freedom it's, check. It's not really religious get out. freedom. That's what it, it's the right to discriminate against people that, based on your interpretation of your religious beliefs. It we. Many of our problems these days come down to definition. Right. So if your definition of religious freedom is I get to discriminate and treat people badly based on my beliefs, and my definition of religious freedom is you get to pray to anybody you want to pray to in any Mm -hmm. way that you pray to, we're going to have a problem. Right. We're just going to have a problem because our definitions are diametrically opposed to one another. This is the reason why church attendance is down, why suddenly... Um, a group. I bet COVID that, also had something to do with it. No, no, but also that declares themselves as nuns are now the largest. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, group of anything. It's it's very. Um, there's so much fuel for people to leave the church. There's so much uh, for them to sever their relationships, not knowing what they're losing in doing so, but because the face of church leadership is these awful people. Yeah who make these decisions and simply want to have a private club where they don't allow members that they don't care for. So, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, but I don't know. If you're going to... if As far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. I think this will be my last point on this, is if you're going to take public funds and then discriminate against the public, yeah. you don't get public funds anymore. Right, exactly. As long as gay people have to pay taxes, you don't get to not pay taxes. Like, that's where, that's where I come down. If you're going to take this huge gift from society and then discriminate against that society, that's, we're well, not going to There's a reason to do it. Do there's a reason why um, that you don't want them to suddenly become bully pulpits for a particular political party or government, but conservative churches largely have become that. So they're sacrificing what their protection, in other words. I agree with a church not paying taxes because it doesn't need to be sort of pigeonholed and represent the views of the state at any point. Now it's representing the views of a specific political party, so it shouldn't be given that advantage. Right. Because it effectively is acting as recruiting um, people for conservative causes or the Republican Party. Right. So yes, it's not functioning as a church anymore. No. Next up, we talk Paul and evil in The More You Know. The Book of Romans is a primer in Christian theology as St. Paul constructed it. It is one of the most referenced books in the New Testament and venerated by many Christians. It started out as a letter written to the Church of Rome somewhere in 47 to 57 AD, partly to raise funds for a missionary expedition to Spain. In it, Paul lays the foundation of a new theology of Christ in the context of Jewish teachings, particularly the Pharisaic tradition he was educated in. In Romans, Paul meant to show that Jesus was the culmination of Jewish teaching and ideas. Jesus was the completion of all of God's promises to the Jewish people. To him, 
Judaism alone, without Christ, is an incomplete faith. For that reason, Romans is a deeply problematic book. So you're telling me that the book of Romans is a solicitation. I got there. I'm concerned because is I is a solicitation letter. Um, partly yes. Wow. Yes. And and the whole Bible is uh, dictated by God. You say. Well, <laughs> it was chosen by a committee. And again, like we mentioned last week, I can understand why they chose the Pauline letters, because they're very close to the actual time, uh, provably close to the actual time that uh, Jesus was alive and teaching. Yeah, but if but, you're, what you're doing is soliciting money and you know stuff for a church while pooing on another church... Well, what he's doing is saying, I would like to do the missionary expedition to Spain, so by the way, I'm leaving for Spain if anybody wants to... Give me a few bucks. Right. (laughs) And that made it into the the Bible? The book opens with him passing the hat. Ah, that's rough. Okay. Now, in this book, Paul sets up questions that one might raise from the traditional scriptures, if you were a Jewish believer. Okay, so Old Testament stuff. Well, yeah, raises, so the book of Romans is for Jewish converts. Okay. Um... But he sets up questions that one might uh, raise from the traditional scriptures, then answers them on the authority of Christian teaching. It goes on this way, raising a question, generating a response, then responding to the question raised by the response. Sometimes, it must be said, he paints himself into a corner. In what has become chapter 9 of his letter, he makes an interesting interpretation of why Gentile Christians can be assured of God's blessing the same way that Jews can. He says that Abraham had to fulfill a pact with God to become chosen, and it was that potential of the promise that makes someone a children of Abraham an inheritor, excuse me, and an inheritor of Abraham's blessings. In other words, a Gentile, if their faith is strong, can inherit all that God promised Abraham and his descendants. There are some children born as descendants of Abraham whose lack of faith makes them false Jews. Okay, I'm, I'm lost a little bit. So, God makes a promise to Abraham in the book of Genesis. All of your children will get into heaven. All of your children, you will have as many children as there are stars in the sky. That's a lot of children. They will be blessed. I presume he doesn't mean biological children, but like followers. Well, as it turns out, uh, Abraham's wife was elderly, as was Abraham. Mm. And so when God tells them they're going to have children, um, his wife Sarah actually giggles. And so God says, well... Because your child, because you giggled, you had the nerve to giggle at Jehovah, you're going to have a child and you're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter. I didn't know Isaac meant laughter. Yeah. I like that. So she didn't think that she was going to have children from her or her elderly husband, yet they did. Well, the and husband course, isn't the issue. The wife is the issue. So Isn't that always the way? <laughs> it goes on and on and on, and God makes these promises to them to protect them and take care of them if they're faithful. The issue being, through most of the Old Testament, they're not particularly faithful. Um, at one point, God, uh, in the book of Hosea, which is a minor prophet, God demonstrates this through an object lesson and asks the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute and to continue the relationship with her even as she has children from other men and continues to run away from them until eventually his love overwhelms her and she becomes a faithful wife. Oh, God, is this why men... Possibly. Oh, we haven't even got to the point that's going to upset you yet. But, like, 
there are men in certain cultures mm-hmm. uh, that wear that think that if they just keep showing up, they will wear women down. I don't know. Is this where they get that? I don't that? know if that's where they get the idea. Okay. But it is a, it certainly is an unhealthy dynamic for a man. I have had this experience with not, with more than one man who came to America from Africa. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it there. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that that's something that's uh, culturally represented uh, from specific cultures in Africa, but um, this is that. But could missionaries to Africa, like, these were Christian men from Africa, these were... is a very popular book because it shows the sort of, the horrible grinding away of true love. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, It's just, uh, uh, it makes you a stalker, y'all. It makes you a stalker. Okay. Okay. So, he goes on to say that because uh, Abraham only became one of the promised people through accepting this pact with God, he had to do certain actions. Deal. A Gentile can actually have a pact with God by believing the same way that Abraham did. And God doesn't have to enter into that pact? Well, God enters into the pact but accepts them as children of faith rather than biological children of Abraham. Why does Paul know that God's down to make this deal or no deal thing with everybody? Well, why is God? He why is he speaking on behalf of God? So, <laughs> now... Here's where it becomes very strange, as if that wasn't already. This leads to another thorny issue that Paul handles very badly. Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power to you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So the story it's referring to is Isaac's wife, Rebecca. This has... God seems like fun. <laughs> Rebecca has two children, Jacob and I. Uh, uh, Esau. Esau. And one's furry. Yes, one's furry. <laughs> so God chooses um, Jacob. He as, hates the farmer. <laughs> as Well, no, Esau wasn't a farmer. Esau was a hunter. Oh, okay. So... Um, he also settled down eventually in a city, and God wanted his people to be nomads, at least at that point. So the idea is that, as Paul points out, before Jacob or Esau were even born, God had already chosen sides. Well, presumably he knew everything about them because right. he's omnipotent and omnipresent. And that means like, around all of the time. But why does God hate anybody? I thought God was love. Excuse me, I thought God was love. (laughs) The conclusion Paul comes to is this. God deliberately creates people who resist him in order to show his mercy when those people choose to repent. If they choose not to repent, God has full right to destroy them as a show of his power. After all, he is God and he can hate and love and bestow favors and curses. No one can complain because they don't have the right. Excuse me, this God sounds like Trump. (laughs) 
Well, I'm sorry if that's blasphemy, but this guy, well, he's a... Uh, Trump is blasphemy. He's a bummer. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he is also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? Romans chapter 9, uh, verses 10 through 24. The conclusion Paul comes to is this. God deliberately creates people who resist him in order to show his mercy when those persons choose to repent. Yes? How come... How come the anti-gay establishment in the Christian church hasn't used this as their basis? Oh, I'm sure... Why haven't... I haven't heard this up front because it is because such an eccentric teaching. You don't hear people talk about talk it Talk about much. it, okay. Because it yeah. seems to me a ready-made thing. If a gay person says to you, God made me this way... They could use this as yes. a as a. I mean, I'm saying I'm not saying do that. I don't right. love what's no. happening here, but um, it seems to me an easy. But I guess the people that don't like gay people in the church haven't necessarily read the actual Bible. So, so maybe that's why they don't use this. As a, Paul's idea is that God has sovereign choice and can execute it in any way that He wants. It pushes ideas from the Old Testament that are really in contradiction with the New Testament. Other parts of the New Testament, a contradiction with the New Testament ideas. Another New Testament author puts it this way. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Okay. 1 John 1. 1 John 1. But you see there that other Christian teachers in the early church were not teaching that God somehow has the right to create grudges and then punish people for the things that they do that he compels them to do. So Paul, a man who, as far as we know, has no children, mm -hmm. is basically like, I mean, God's going to hate like half of his kids, and it's well, fine. Well, if God does, then what right do we have to question what God makes us suffer or what God does to us? So he starts out with a hypothetical, mm -hmm. and then rather than proving his hypothetical, he just is like, that's just the way it is. Right. If God does this, which so, I'm not saying that he does or doesn't, but mm -hmm. if he does, we have no room to complain. So you might be a person favored by God who gets all sorts of rewards in this life and the next. And I could be a person who's not favored by God. God has come, created me to show his mercy because of what a terrible person I am in forgiving me all the time. But whose mercy is that showing it's demonstrating God's mercy towards me because I'm a terrible sinner and I do bad things. So, okay, wait. So he hates you because you're a sinner and you do bad things. Yes. But, but everybody's a sinner and does but, bad things. No, in this, in Paul's idea, not everyone is because there's some people like Jacob who are just given God's blessing. Oh. And there's some people like Esau who are not given God's blessing. And God has the right to punish Esau for being bad even though God created Esau bad in the first place. Did, um, okay, one, is Esau like the water that uh, forms ugly ice when you think bad thoughts at it? Mm, like, no. is that, 
is that God's version. Like, he's like, I'm going to hate this this child, and so it will be evil and twisted. Maybe that's why he was so hairy. I, I don't know. And then also, um, the prodigal son, is God the same as the father and the prodigal son? It's mine to give. God is, <sighs> yes, but you see the way that Jesus uses that same concept. Mm. It's mine to give, so I'm giving it to him. To everybody. I but I'm not to giving it to you. I'm not taking it back from you. Everyone. Right, it's not a pie. Everyone right. gets some. So the notion that Paul gives, which is... It's a pie. <laughs> right. There are wicked people, but God made them wicked so that we can all see how merciful God is. That person resists God's love, and like Pharaoh, in you know, uh, who resisted Moses for so long, God can crush them mercilessly and that's okay because god is god what is he trying to prove i don't understand what his point is here he started at a completely different point Uh, other than somebody said hey why does god let evil things happen and he's like because god can do whatever he wants that seems like his answer which i mean sure he started with and that's why i mentioned he paints himself into a corner he starts with do gentiles get to fulfill god's promise well they do because God can choose whoever he wants to. And there are some people that God chooses to suffer. Most people like he must... just adds that information in right, as an addendum to what they were talking about, even though that's not what they exactly. were talking about. Okay. So, uh, so Paul himself... Paul, makes... say less. Say less. Paul himself makes a case for just the opposite point of view in the chapter previous to this from the book of Romans. He very famously says... Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans eight, thirty seven to thirty nine. So he's saying God is love, but also God is petty. <laughs> to God is petty, he makes decisions based on nothing other than the fact that God can do whatever God pleases. It paints the, the the picture of God as a sort of celestial bully, who who or a parent, an unlikable parent who picks favorites, and openly publicly shames children who did nothing. Now remember, he chose Jacob over Esau before Esau was born, so they did nothing to earn his disfavor. He just decided this one I like, this one I don't like. First of all, he shouldn't not like anybody. That's I don't like that. Secondly, this is only for you, and I'm going to cut it out of the show, but Mm -hmm. this feels very much like God is both Larry Underwood in Central Park and the Yankee Yanker. Mm -hmm. I can do it. Don't you understand? We can do whatever we want. And Larry's like, I do understand, and I don't want to do the weird you want to do. Uh, so he's got this weird dichotomy right. of like, but this is Paul's... just because you can doesn't mean you should or have to. This has led some people to believe that because the contradiction just in the last verse that you read, which mm-hmm. is very inspirational and beautiful, mm-hmm. and then this other passage about, well, God chooses who he likes, so what can separate us from the love of God? God can. Because of that, some people believe that Paul's scriptures are also have been tampered with. That's a belief as well. That well, he contradicts himself. Is it possible so often. that he also had some depression issues? It's very possible that he did. and or even yes. bipolar issues. And where to, when he was up, mm-hmm. God is love and light and good, and when he's down, 
God crushes us just because he can, and that's his will to do, and that's what we deserve. And We'll be investigating that because there's some evidence. As we said, he had a perpetual kind of inferiority complex in dealing with the other disciples. He didn't. He kept trying to claim the same kind of virtues and the same kind of... But you weren't there. You're a poser. Right. Poser! Well, well, he claims that he's equal to the apostles because Jesus appeared to him in a vision as opposed to the rest of the of the men who actually, and there were women as well, who actually walked Knew with him, him, ate with him, him yeah. talked to him. So, so what does it all mean? Does God extend love only to people chosen for success? Maybe God, or Paul believes that God has a capricious will and can violate his own rules about his expansive love. In future episodes, we can explore the repercussions of Paul's thinking and how it led to divisions in the faith that exist to this day. The notion that um, that people were so terrified of whether or not they had actual salvation that it led to a lot of the puritanical beliefs that led to the founding of this country. Yeah, um, came from people uh, um, that were really uncertain of their salvation because they did not understand if maybe their horrible compulsions were compulsions that God put there in order to ruin them. What do you think? Can a God represent all-encompassing love and then, on a whim, determine that He will punish? someone and condemn them to flex his muscle is that god (laughs) i mean if it is i'm uninterested in signing up for that yes because if there's nothing i can do if you're going to take it Mm. and and that pulls out pre you know that that puts predeterminism Mm. even stark not just all of your decisions are have already been made but, you know, God just made you bad. Right. We don't have a choice, and we can't. This is not a God out of a comic book, or even one of the... And as much in, as I hate the phrase, because Republicans have really soured it uh, for me, of personal responsibility, Right. to just say, well, God just made me bad, and then shrug your shoulders and go off and do terrible things, yeah. I, I'm not on board for a... a any part of the populace who's okay to do that. That's a psychopath. Mm-hmm. There's a, you know, there's a psychological well, here's, term here's for it. The, the danger of that kind of belief. If we're saying that's a psychopath, that psychopath has absolute power over everything in the universe, which is a terrifying idea. Well, no, I mean, the psychopath is the... I, I, was a, I wasn't talking to God, about no, God, no, but, I mean, but can, there is right. a little bit of psychopathy there as well, but I'm talking about any, any person who uh-huh. thinks... Well, God just made me evil, so I'm going to do whatever. Right, but when we think about a person who, or God in terms of what Paul is describing, we're also looking at someone who does whatever they please, whenever they please, with no, you know, there's nothing. No one ever calls God out for what God does. And so it becomes... Well, who can? Right, exactly. So (laughs) when you think about a person who is concerned whether or not they have compulsions or feelings or desires that are immoral... They can't control them because God has made this, them this way and has deliberately chosen to put this stumbling block in their way when they're trying to make themselves better people. Right. So that in the end, if they succeed at their overcoming their addictions or their problems or their issues, then it's because they did it through God's will and look how glorious that is. And if they fail, then God has the right ultimately to punish them terribly. But because so they fail. was it God's will that they succeed or fail, though? Well, that's the question that he's raising is that's when he sort of drops it 
Paul does and goes, well, Okay, yeah, you can't really have it both ways. You can't have it with God made you that way and, and, you know, now it's up to you to change it. Or it's God's will that you changed. You can't have it both ways. It either is... You either have will to do that or you don't. You you either have free will or you don't. And he seems to be on both sides of that. There doesn't seem to be a lot... And I looked it up because this was something that struck me when I had a, a Bible teacher uh, at school. Uh, Isabel Scarlett Harrison was a wonderful woman. I loved her middle name. Um, when she discussed this, she did something very shocking at the time, which is she just threw the concept out of the window. And we were all sort of surprised that our Bible teacher was just going, completely ignore this. This is a ridiculous thing to say. But I really appreciate the fact that she had the ability to say that to us. It's, yes, you're in a Bible class. Yes, this is a certain kind of Christian school. But I can't have you believe that you don't know if you're worthy of God's salvation because God might have it out for you for no particular reason. Yeah, you can't give, you can't put that in kids, on kids. That's too much. You might. Especially kids that are raised in a, in, in, inside of a faith. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And might be any different at all than the people around them. If they are in any way not hetero, cis, in that, that box of what a quote-unquote oh, normal or neurotypical, right. any of that yes. stuff. If you are in any way different than the people around you. God has chosen to burden you with certain flaws or certain... I feel like that leads to child suicide. Like, I just... leads to... And again, that led to as much, for instance, the discussions that we've had privately, that led to Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah. Why do you think all these characters in The Scarlet Letter are so horrified, or young Goodman Brown, about whether or not they're actually saved? Because they might not be. They might actually be destined to be destroyed. And he's looking at God has the right to... Does a potter have to... Can the potter save the or the clay safe to the potter, why did you make me like this? In other words, it's bringing up, well, you could be a rubbish bin, or you could be a vase, or you could be something glorious, but you don't have the right to to say, why am I like this? Right, but it's also wild to me that anybody who's talking about God and humans Mm -hmm. would make the comparison of humans to clay. Now, granted, there is a little bit of that from from the earth, Mm -hmm. God made da 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 da, but people and pots are different things. Those are yeah. not the same. So yeah, if a pot looked at me and was like, "Man, you really messed me up. Why did you make me so ugly?" I'd be like, "Well, this is weird. How did you get consciousness? Humans have consciousness. <laughs> so yeah, maybe we can look at our maker and go, "Hey, hey, excuse me, why?" <laughs> Paul also developed the notion of the body of Christ, which sounds lovely. Up until... Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I never have had it. I don't even know. Okay. It seems dry. No, no, not the body of Christ, because that's the Eucharist, right? Yes. But the body of Christ, in terms of referring to the church, is the body of Christ. Oh, that's different. He uses this metaphor and still brings up the idea, well, there's some parts of a body are less honorable than the other parts of the body, but if you're the foot that treads on the earth all the time, you don't have the right to say to the eye, why can't I be the eye? He then goes on to say, well, if the entire body was an eye, where would be the walking? If you don't want to be the vocal cords or some other part of the body, like the appendix, you don't have the right to ask why you don't get to be a glorious part of the body. Again, saying glorious that purpose. there are some people 
who are just destined to be, even inside the body of Christ, dishonorable or less reputable, or, you know, you could be the small intestine in the body of Christ. And that's what Have he Have you was, ever tried to function without a small intestine? But it's the hard. point is, Seems he bad. says that he tries to make it as if all the parts are honorable, but it's unfair. You don't have the right to ask the question, why you're the fingernail. Well, yeah, but also the fingernail doesn't have consciousness. I'm going to keep going right. back to this. He, he makes these <laughs> metaphors, and again, as I said, he paints himself into corners. And this is one of those instances Because where, you don't think of yourself as a fingernail. No, no, no. So don't put again, that on me. I, again, <laughs> that I think in some ways speaks to the insecurity of the man who wants yeah. to make himself equal to the actual disciples. Right. He wants to be part of that first generation of teaching, and he was around, he was alive when it happened. I don't know if he was in Jerusalem while Jesus was there. But it's like he just missed being a part of that. And now he wants to insist that he's equal to the others. But anyhow, I'm I'm leaving this open for anybody who wants to write us or talk to us about it. It's a very interesting concept. It's one that I'm very happy that someone told me at some point, you don't have to believe this. Mm. And I'm really grateful to that Bible teacher of mine years and years. And years oh, good Lord, how many years ago? Some. A <laughs> so, few. A couple few. A biblical generation ago <laughs> who sat and explained to me, yes, we are Christians, but we don't have to accept all of what Paul is saying. We have to accept what Jesus is saying, but Jesus is awesome. Paul's just a dude. He's, he's a guy with a lot of, uh, with a kind of an inferiority complex. Seems like. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you like it, please subscribe and leave us a review and share it with a friend. We have an internet home without workspodcast.com. Our show notes and links to stories we talk about can be found there. You can find us on Twitter at WithoutWorksPod. You can find us on Facebook by searching Without Works Podcast. And you can email us at WithoutWorksPod at gmail.com. Once again, our internet home is WithoutWorksPodcast.com and links to all of those fun places can be found there. So go over there and take a look around. I've been Amity, and he's been Lemuel, and we urge you to get vaccinated and do something good.